This is Science Moab, a radio show exploring the science and learning about the scientists from the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina, and on today's show, we leave the Colorado Plateau and take a broader view of ecosystems and processes that are being influenced by climate change. It's a good show. Stay with us. Tundra swans and sandhill cranes actually spend a significant portion of their life in Utah and the surrounding area, as well as up in the Arctic. Even though these species we might not necessarily consider as desert species or intermountain west species, they are affected by processes that are happening thousands of miles away in the Arctic. Today on Science Moab, we're speaking with Ryan Choi about the influence that climate change has on the interactions that occur within ecosystems. Ryan is a PhD student at Utah State University. There, Ryan studies how climate change changes interactions between plants and the species that eat them up in the Arctic. Specifically, he looks at how warming temperatures influence when grasses grow above the Arctic Circle and how changes to that timing of growth impacts the migrating geese that rely on those grasses year after year. This mismatched timing is known as a trophic mismatch. And we begin our interview with Ryan defining what a trophic mismatch means for ecosystems. So a trophic mismatch is what happens when two species, oftentimes a consumer and a producer, fall out of sync in terms of when they are supposed to overlap. So when consumers, oftentimes herbivores, feed on their primary resources, plants, there needs to be a overlap in time. But if the plants come online early or these resources aren't available at the time when consumers need them, that's when we might have a trophic mismatch. And it's gonna impact herbivores at the higher trophic level, at the population level, or even at the community level or the ecosystem level. Remind us what a trophic level is exactly. Sure. So ecosystems and food webs are comprised of different trophic levels, starting from the green plants that take up sun. They're the primary base trophic level. And then species that feed on these primary producers are consumers. So herbivores, things like Deer and insects are oftentimes considered primary consumers at the the next highest trophic level. And then species that feed on or prey upon those primary consumers are the second trophic level and so on and so on as you work up through a food web. And so a trophic mismatch, again, is then when the timing of these different trophic levels aren't matching. Exactly. Can you give me some examples in the real world about what that really looks like? One example of trophic mismatch that's happening has to do with climate change and how climate change is affecting the timing and availability of resources for species that rely on them. Specifically for my my research is looking at how climate change is impacting and altering the timing of plants in the Arctic 
and the implications that has for long-distance migrating geese that travel thousands of miles to the Arctic to feed on these plant resources. So not only is climate change altering the seasonal patterns and timing and availability of the seasons and of plants, but also it seems to be impacting the timing and synchronization of long-distance migrations. So when birds migrate, they're often triggered by photo period or day length, how much daylight there is in the day as winter rolls around and spring shows up, the days start getting longer and that triggers these internal cues for birds to undertake these mind-boggling long distance migrations, hundreds, thousands of miles across the globe. As the birds are migrating along their flyways, they're tracking and moving with food resources what is known as following the green wave effect. They spend time in the tropics, they'll start moving northward following their resources, and the shift of plants and resources during the springtime. And as they move north, then they continue moving on their flyway until they eventually get to their summer breeding grounds, wherever that happens to be. So in our system, Pacific Black Brant, they spend their winters in Mexico, in the estuary bays of, of coastal Mexico and California, all the way up to Puget Sound. And they travel thousands of miles to the Yukon Delta um, in southwestern coastal Alaska, which is a, a destination breeding ground for over a million migratory birds and geese because it's a highly productive ecosystem that is coastal tundra and uh, a great place to raise their young and, and build goslings and, and ducklings. But one of the reasons why they travel such a long distance is because their primary food resource, this Carex species, it's a sedge, that is really high in nitrogen and also very productive and is relatively abundant on the coast. And they can spend their entire summers grazing and putting on fat stores and replenishing energy supplies after flying thousands of miles in the springtime and building up their fat reserves for their long migration south. However, if climate change is affecting the productivity and timing of when their primary forage resources are available, um, it's likely that they might not necessarily be as nutritious. And because geese are not really efficient digesters, they have a very inefficient digestive system, it would require more time for them to spend foraging on these resources and less time resting up for their long migration south. And so that could in turn lead to long-term declines in their population. Are there consequences of this trophic mismatch that could be affecting the, the greater ecosystem at large? Yes, it's a very high possibility. And so one of the things that we're looking at is how this mismatch and timing of birds and their resources have implications for the broader ecosystem, impacts such as uh, changes in release of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, how much carbon is taken up by plants and stored in above ground biomass, how much is stored below ground, and then also implications for nitrogen inputs and nitrogen turnover in this coastal ecosystem. Break that down for me a little bit. How could the late or early arrival of migratory geese influence carbon? Ah, so plants are primary producers and they are really good at pulling carbon out of the atmosphere using photosynthesis pulling in carbon dioxide and turning that into 
plant tissue and sugars and storing that in their above ground structures as well as their root structures. So the Arctic is also the largest store of carbon on the planet. Something like over about 50% of the world's carbon is stored in below ground soils. And so with climate change, uh, one of the big concerns is that with melting and thawing permafrost, we're going to see greater release of this stored carbon into the atmosphere. And so it's this balance and exchange between increased growth and production by plants and how much carbon they're able to store, but also how much carbon is going to be released by warming temperatures and thawing permafrost. So how do the geese play into that? The geese that we study are grazers. They're herbivores and will spend most of their summers foraging and grazing and clipping vegetation and turning that into uh, goose biomass. And they have the ability to remove these plant tissues and alter how much carbon is stored in the vegetation. In addition to just removing above ground tissues, they also trample the ground with their little web feet and also poop all over the landscape. They're uh, eating food, then they're definitely pooping food. And that has consequences for how much is uh, returned to the environment through leaching and off-gassing as well. And so what does the timing of when the geese arrive, how does that influence these cycles, the the carbon and nitrogen that you're talking about? (laughs) With climate change, it's becoming, uh, there's just a lot of variability in terms of in your annual predictability, like when spring is occurring year after year after year. And the long-term trends are showing that springtime is advancing and has actually advanced several weeks over the last several decades. Since if geese are unable to track this timing of when their resources are available, they have the potential to arrive late into a system that is where the grass is taller, but maybe less nutritious. But there's also the possibility that they might arrive too early if there's just this increased stochasticity and variability in the timing. And if they arrive too early, the plants might not necessarily have started growing and they could overgraze the vegetation or destroy it, have the potential to destroy it, trying to get the resources they need once they show up after flying thousands of miles. And that can have long term consequences for both the vegetation and the geese populations themselves. And the carbon. And the carbon, yeah. Are these trophic mismatches currently occurring or are these things that are expected to occur in the future under climate change? Uh, Both, actually. Uh, Climate change is happening now and affecting the dynamics between species and the timing of these interactions uh, at these different trophic levels. And we do expect this phenomenon to continue to occur in the future and further drive wedges between species. Your example was of a species that's migrating, or is that really the main type of species that are going to be affected by these trophic mismatches, or does it not need to be a migratory species? Um, That's a good question. The system that I'm studying is looking at impact of long-distance migrants, particularly because they are very vulnerable to this trophic mismatch because they start their migrations thousands of miles away. The species that we look at, the Pacific black brant, they spend their winters down in Mexico, but then they spend their summer breeding period in Alaska. And so cues that might be altering their migration patterns in the subtropics have ramifications and impacts for these species by the time they get to Alaska. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. You could have trophic mismatches locally if 
species just aren't able to adapt to rapidly occurring changes in their home range. Um, how do you study trophic mismatches? You have to set up experiments where you can manipulate the variables in question. And so with our experiment, we are using open top chambers, these acrylic passive solar warming chambers to increase the ambient temperature of the ground and to stimulate growth by vegetation earlier in the season. And if you compare that to plots that don't receive that treatment, then we can sort of tease apart the impacts of earlier phenology or the earlier growing season. In addition to the advanced growing season, we're also able to manipulate when the geese are grazing on these plots. And so by setting up these fenced exclosures and I go out and trap a couple dozen geese every year and uh, herd them around the tundra and place them on the plots and control when they actually graze on these plots. And we can look at what the effects are if they arrive too early, arrive at a normal time, or if they arrive late, or if they don't arrive at all. If they change their migration patterns, if they don't decide to migrate elsewhere or don't migrate as far south, or just decide to stop continuing using this particular location that they have for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Why is studying these trophic mismatches important? Climate change is a tricky thing to study. We don't entirely know what all the consequences are going to be in the future. It's really important for us to use these experiments and use the scientific method to tease apart these complex interactions between species and get at the impacts that they might have on the broader ecosystem. The world is a complicated place, but everything is connected together. And if you tug on one strand, that has the potential to affect things hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. But it takes a lot of different experiments. It takes a lot of different scientists to break up this really complex question and address different aspects of climate change in order for us to have a, a more complete understanding of the impacts of climate change globally. Uh, are there trophic mismatches that are potentially going to influence drylands and the systems around here in Moab? Most definitely. The Colorado Plateau is a, an incredible ecosystem, um, one that's characterized by a lack of water. Water really defines where life can occur and thrive um, in this arid and oftentimes extreme environment. And unfortunately, water only occurs during certain times of the year, uh, either a snowpack during the wintertime or oftentimes more so during the summer monsoons. With climate change and predicted models of climate change, it's expected that we're likely to see greater periods of drought and altered precipitation patterns. Like if rain doesn't necessarily occur when it's supposed to, species that are completely reliant on this availability of water are gonna be impacted. Species like uh, bighorn sheep, native Colorado river fishes, or even the native shrubs and plant species on the Colorado Plateau and biological soils as well. Do any of the geese that you study stop in Utah? Uh, this, unfortunately not. The Pacific black brant are uh, exclusively a coastal goose. They spend their time on the Pacific coast and flying up and down the coast. And so it's very unlikely that a Pacific brant has ever come through Moab. But other Arctic species spend time in the lower 48 in this uh, particular region. Species like tundra swans 
or sandhill cranes actually spend a significant portion of their life in Utah in the surrounding area and as well as up in the Arctic. And so even though these species we might not necessarily consider as desert species or intermountain west species, they are affected by processes that are happening thousands of miles away in the Arctic. How did you get interested in studying climate change's influence on ecosystems? I believe that climate change is the single most important thing that we need to be studying at this point in time. Uh, We're experiencing shifts in environmental conditions and the environment that we we have not seen um, at this magnitude. And so it's a really pressing issue to conduct these studies at this point in time. For me, as a long-distance thru-hiker, having spent large periods of time out in the wilderness walking across the country through a number of different ecosystems and environments, I've seen the impacts of climate change firsthand. Droughts in the West, increased fire in our national forests, and shifts in species distributions. And for me personally, as someone who enjoys spending time in the outdoors, as well as a scientist, I find it really important to spend the time to figure out how to better protect and better predict what's going to happen to our natural resources. And what do you enjoy about being a scientist? I like the fact that we can ask these really interesting questions and then go out into the natural world and use science to answer them and to contribute to our better understanding of the, of the natural world and the processes. In my opinion, there isn't a better job out there. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for this interview. It's been so great to talk to you about your research. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. You can listen to this episode with Ryan Choi again or hear any of our past episodes at kzmu.org or on iTunes or Stitcher. Funding is provided by the BYU Charles Red Center for Western Studies. Theme music is by Jeremy Spalding. And the show is produced by Christina Young and KZMU.